Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is My Private Nation. Now, here's Bill Armack. There's something that Christians do that's weird. And a lot of us do it. And, you know, I always say that everybody's weird. Just we're all weird a little differently, that's all. But Christians do this when we're, when we're weird. And, and people that maybe are on the edge of Christianity and you haven't quite decided if you want to be a Christian yet or not or a non-Christian, they call us on this. And they should. They should. And that is, we resist the God we say we trust. We resist the God we say we trust. That's weird. Right? And I'm not going to make anybody raise their hand because I don't want anybody to lie in church. Okay? But, but we, we resist the God we say we trust. See, we, we know there's these things we should do. We should, we should forgive somebody, but it's hard, and we don't. We should be merciful, but we don't. We should get out of that destructive relationship, but we don't. And we have all the stuff we know we should do, but we don't. And our heart tells us, our conscience tells us, the Scripture tells us all these things we should do, but we don't. We resist the God we say we trust. And there's a word for that. Actually, I should have put this up for extra sermon notes. We resist the God we say we trust. There's a word for that that we use. It's called hypocrisy. Right? You're a hypocrite. Because you're not doing what you say you want to do. Now, in our defense, I, ho- I hope you go easy on us. Because it's terrifying to surrender control to a God you've never seen. It's difficult to write a blank check for your life and give it over to a God that you've never seen. And so it's hard. Coming up through Easter and um, in Jesus' time as He went up through the weeks leading up to His crucifixion, there were some people that entered the story. And they each had a different viewpoint of Jesus. But they all stood eye to eye with Jesus. And most of them resisted God. And so we start this series that's called The Bad Boys of Easter. This first one's called uh, My Private Nation. But as we go through this, this is not just a history lesson, because there's something to be learned from all of these people. There's a little bit of them in us, because we resist the God we say we trust. Now, in, in all transparency, I need to give credit to my friend Andy Stanley. He's the one that wrote this series, and he said it was okay if we use it here at church. And what that really means is I made a donation to his ministry. He let me download some notes, and he has no idea who I am, but I think we're friends now, okay? So, thank you, Andy Stanley. All right. 
But these people that we're going to be talking about, they all had the opportunity to, to, to come face to face with God. And their lives are an illustration to us of one of two things. Because ultimately our lives come down to one of two things. We either relinquish control and we follow God, or we resist. And our lives, just like their lives, will ultimately be an example of what happens when you follow God or when you resist God. That's the two choices we have. And that's the things that we're going to be looking at today. And it's kind of funny when we talk about resisting God. Like somehow we think we can resist God. I mean, think about that. Right, you can resist God. You're strong enough to do that. You're powerful enough to do that. It's laughable when you think about it. But yet we continue to try anyways. So as we jump into the story here, the first character we're going to be talking about is Joseph Caiaphas. He was the Jewish high priest for 18 years. Um, He was appointed high priest by the Roman prefect that was previous to Pilate. And he was the high priest. Now we need to talk a little bit about what this means to be high priest during this time. Because you had ultimate control when you were the high priest. Remember, Rome has overrun. They, uh, Israel, they are in control. They don't want a king. A king would try to, you know, rebel. So they appoint the high priest as the liaison between Rome and the Jewish nation. He's the peacekeeper between the two. So he deals with Rome. Of course, he has control of the Sanhedrin. He's control of the temple. He's the guy that goes into the most holy place. And he had access to vast amounts of wealth. I mean vast amounts of wealth. This is hard to describe. Because everybody paid the temple tax. Regardless of whether you lived by the temple or not. Every Jew sent their temple tax in. And all this wealth is pouring in to this one 32-acre spot in Jerusalem. And today it would be the equivalent of millions and millions and millions of dollars. In fact, so much wealth poured into the temple that some of the Roman outposts that were on the outside tried to pass laws against paying the temple tax because so much wealth was leaving their providence and coming into Jerusalem. And Caiaphas had access to vast amounts of wealth. He had also was part of a family dynasty. His father-in-law had been high priest. Five of his brother-in-laws had been high priest. And now he's high priest. For 40 years... This family ran the dynasty of the Jewish nation. And everything looked pretty good for Caiaphas. Until Jesus Josephson showed up. Now most of you guys think that Jesus' last name is Christ. (laughs) But Christ is not a last name. Christ means the Messiah. It's not a name. And so, you know, even though your grandfather used to yell, Jesus the Messiah, every time he smashed his hammer, you know, his finger with the hammer, that's not his last name. 
And in fact, we don't really know what Jesus' last name was, but I needed a last name, so he's the son of Joseph, Jesus Joseph's son. My attempt, a little bit of humor there. All right, so everything was fine for Caiaphas until Jesus shows up. And Jesus brings a very unique problem with him. Crowds of people. The crowds follow Jesus everywhere he goes. And crowds can be a problem. If you're the Romans, you're leery of crowds because they could turn violent and riots could start and they could try to overthrow. You don't know what they're plotting and planning in these crowds. The Jewish leaders don't like the crowds because they want the people to follow them, not not Jesus. And no crowds come out to see them except on festival day. And then they're there for the festival, not to see them. And so they've got this big problem going on. Jesus creates all these issues. Now, the other problem with Jesus was he was extremely, extremely, I mean, hyper-critical of the temple and Jewish leaders. Remember when he turns over the tables in the temple for the money changers? Remember the question that they ask him? See, if somebody was doing that in my temple, I'd say, what are you doing? They didn't ask that question. They said, who do you think you are? Because that's the only question you can ask in that situation. Who are you? Who gave you authority to do this? We know Jesus spoke with authority. The crowds validated that authority. And Jesus is super critical of the leadership. If you ever want to read a great Jesus rant, you should read Matthew 23. Because Jesus just rips through the leaders. And man, I mean, he, just, he lays into them. I mean, he just really tears them apart. Way down towards the end of that uh, chapter in that rant... Look at what he says in Matthew 23, verse 33. It says, You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? You wouldn't let your children talk like this. Right? If you caught your kids saying that, you're like, hey, you can't say that. But that's how Jesus talked to the leaders. And he was super critical of the leaders. And so the last straw that happens is an act of compassion that Jesus performs. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Remember the story, right? Lazarus gets raised from the dead. And Lazarus has been in the grave for four days, right? And when Jesus comes to raise him from the dead, right, they say, don't roll back that stone. It's going to smell in there. Anybody here seen the movie Princess Bride? Man, we need movie night. <laughs> Princess Bride is like the best movie in the history of the world. No, it's great. Remember, remember Miracle Max? When you take the hero and he's, he's almost dead, and they take him to Miracle Max, and they want him to revive him from the dead? Then there's two states you can be in, almost dead and dead dead. Right, And when you're almost dead, there's something you can do. But when you're dead dead, there's nothing you can do. Just go through their pockets and take out loose change. That's all you can do. Right? Lazarus was in the dead dead state. He's been in the grave for four days. 
Everybody knows Lazarus is dead. He lives in the little town of Bethany, about a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem. It's just a small town. Everybody knows everybody. He's kind of a prominent citizen in this little village. Everybody was at the funeral. Everybody knows he's dead. And all of a sudden, he's walking around again. You want to talk about weird? That ranks right up there. And the crowds swelled after Jesus performed this miracle. Look at what John says in John chapter 12. It says, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said one to another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now when they say, see, this is getting us nowhere, the this they're talking about is their plan to discredit Jesus. Because remember, up to then, their plan to discredit Jesus had been, we'll trick him with some questions. We'll ask him some, some theology question and we'll trick him. And remember, Jesus always had a snappy answer. Put him in their place. The crowd goes, go Jesus, right? And they said, this is not working. Pretty soon, the whole world is going to be following him. Now remember, John writes the book of John much later. This is later in his life. He's looking back at these events. And he must look back at this and smile. He's going to go, yeah, they didn't know what was going to happen, did they? You'd think the whole world was following him then. Right? They were worried that the whole world was going to follow him. And Jesus had become a threat. Jesus threatened the peace and then became a threat to the peacekeeper, Joseph Caiaphas, head priest. Let's look at the story. John chapter 11. Then the chief priest... Excuse me. And the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Now, if you're reading the New Testament, you can blow right past this because you're like, oh, well, they called a meeting. Well, what's the big deal? This is kind of like if we went to Washington, D.C., and we got the House, and we got the Senate, and we got the Democrats, and we got the Republicans, and we added the chief justices. We put them all in a room and got them to agree on something. No chance, right? No chance. That's what happens here. See, because the Sanhedrin was made up of the Pharisees and the priests and the Sadducees, and they all had different views. They had different theology. They had different politics. Some of them thought they should get along with Rome. Some of them thought they should be fighting back. They were all over the board, just like Washington, D.C. And so they have this meeting, and they all come together. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here's this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe. And then, and then what? See, in their heart of hearts, they know that to resist Jesus is to resist God. They know it. But, 
if everybody's going to keep believing Him, then something's going to happen. The Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. I know I should follow Jesus, but it's costing me too much. And I need to hang on to what I have. The price is too high. I don't want to lose my spot as a leader of the temple. I am not willing to let go for God. I resist. Then one of them named... Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. Do you not realize it is better for you? Now, can you hear the tone of his voice? Sitting at the head of the table. Everybody's in a ruckus. They're arguing. They're fighting. They're complaining. What are we going to do? And finally he says, shut up. You guys don't know anything. You need me. Listen to what I have to say. I will save us. Do you not realize that it's better for you? That gets their attention. Because we all want it to be better for us. If somebody says, well, I can make it better for you, I'm like, sign me up. I want it to be better for me. It would be better for you that one man die. Uh, what did he just say? Better for me if one man die? We're going to kill somebody? Uh, well, you know, it would be better if one man die for the people. Yeah, it would be better if one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Listen to me. If we kill this guy, everything will be okay. We'll save the nation. We'll be heroes. The crowds will follow us instead of him. This will be good. This is the high priest. This is the guy that has access to the oldest written copy of the law that says, Thou shalt not murder. It it made the Big Ten. Wow. John goes on to say, He did not say this on His own, but as high priest that year, He prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but for all the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Remember, John writes this later, and he's looking back on this. And John investigated these things. He tells us that. He says, I investigated what happened. He talked to these people. The book of Acts tells us, after Jesus' resurrection, that many of the priests and the Pharisees became followers of Jesus. They realized what they had been resisting. And fortunately, they had a second chance, and they jumped track and got on the other train. Good for them. But Jesus probably talked, I mean, John talked to some of them. And they told him about these meetings that happened. He said, John, you should have been there, man. We were going nuts. 
John's taking notes. He writes it all down for us. He investigated these things. See, but they had a decision to make. Am I going to follow God or am I going to resist? Guys, men, sometimes we have this problem and we resist, right? Because we don't want to get into church too much, right? Because Saturday is my day to relax. Finally, I've been working all week. I have a day off. I can read the paper, have a coffee, go get a donut. Now everybody's hungry. And we think, if I go to church, i got to give something up. I like my Saturday mornings. The wife wants to go, and the kids want to go, and then we're going to have to go to a Wednesday night meeting, and that's going to cost me something. Then she's going to want to pay tithes and offerings, and that's going to cost me something. And we resist. We resist. And... People have done this. Men, um, we, we resist God because we, we want to maintain our standard of living. And so we work extra hours at the sacrifice of our family. Now women have to worry about that too because they're in the workforce as well. Right? And we resist. We say, I don't want to give anything up. Here's the truth. We will hold on to things. And we will, at great expense, hold on to things instead of relaxing and giving it over to God. And it always costs us something, either to let go or to hold on. Okay? The greatest regrets that you have in your life. I want you to think back about some of the biggest and greatest regrets you have in your life. Chances are they're about things or people that aren't even in your life anymore. You held on to this relationship for too long. And that person's not even in your life anymore. You gave up everything for that job. You don't even work there anymore. And we have these great regrets because we did things for people and position and honor and things that aren't even in our lives anymore. Young people, you can be tempted to do things to keep your GPA up. You know how long it's been since anybody asked me what my GPA was? Don't sacrifice for things that are temporal and are not even going to be in your life anymore. Because when you hold on to them in place of God, their value immediately diminishes. And that's why we always want more. Because this is not worth what we thought it was worth. And so I need more. And we can see this in Caiaphas' life. 
Now imagine how he felt the Sunday after the crucifixion. Sitting back in his chair. He's got the Jerusalem Times. Cup of Joe. Enjoying the morning. Hurried footsteps come down the hallway. Somebody comes busting in the room and says, um, we got a problem. What's the problem? It's gone. What's gone? Jesus is gone. Can you imagine the screaming that went on in that room? They held on to everything at great cost and got nothing. By resisting God, they participated in His plan and facilitated Him. And now the crowds are not rallying around the person of Jesus. They are rallying around the name of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. And the people come out of hiding in a few weeks and they say, you know what? You killed Jesus. God raised him up. We saw him. Say you're sorry. And what they struggled so hard to hold on to, they lost anyway. Because in a few years, Caiaphas loses his spot as head priest. And a few years after that, Titus comes through and levels the temple. And it was all gone anyway. And these people that struggled so hard to be a part of history and and fight against God end up being a footnote in the story of Jesus. The carpenter turned rabbi turned savior. There's a little bit of Caiaphas in all of us. We want to preserve. We talked about it. Men, you will work hard to preserve your standard of living. Singles and college students, sometimes we compromise morally to preserve a relationship. Some people will cash in their ethics for a deal in the business world. We lie to prop up our reputations. And the pressure that we have to preserve, to hold on to what we have, to what we've gathered up, is so great, it will drive us to extreme behavior. And it made the high priest murder somebody. You will always regret the things that you tried to hold on to and they're not even a part of your life anymore. They plotted to take his life. We did that one already. Skipping all this for time. Little gods always disappoint. The little gods that you have in your life always disappoints. We try to prop them up 
but they do not last and they will always disappoint. Saying yes to God will cost you something. Saying no will cost you more, including the thing that you put in place of God. Right? Saying yes will cost you something. When you say, I'm going to follow Jesus in today's society, it costs you something. But resisting will cost you more. It will cost you so much more. And ultimately, our lives are going to be an example to anybody watching of what happens when you let go and follow God or when you resist. And everybody's going to be able to look and see what the results of our lives are. What have you put in the place of God? What are you seeking to prop up that needs to be surrendered? What is the little God in your life that is demanding more and more and worth less and less? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please, 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 Help us to have the strength and the courage to step out and to follow You. Help us to be ones that are able to to let go and surrender, Lord. And we realize that's going to cost us. But Lord, the other way is to cost even more. So help us to be the kind of people that will follow You, that will stand up and follow You, Lord. It's a hard decision sometimes when we look around and and we realize that maybe somebody's not going to like that decision or they're going to have it in for us because we're a Christ follower. It's a small price to pay, Lord. Give us the courage to stand up for You all the time, Lord. We want to remove the little gods from our lives and only be working and worried about You, the true God. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.